Master Humphrey's Clock, Section 8. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Master Humphrey's Clock by Charles Dickens, Section 8, Chapter 6, Part 1. Master Humphrey from his clock side in the chimney corner. Two or three evenings after the institution of Mr. Weller's watch, I thought I heard, as I walked in the garden, the voice of Mr. Weller himself at no great distance, and stopping once or twice to listen more attentively, I found that the sounds proceeded from my housekeeper's little sitting-room, which is at the back of the house. I took no further notice of the circumstance at that time, but it formed the subject of a conversation between me and my friend Jack Redburn next morning, when I found that I had not been deceived in my impression. Jack furnished me with the following particulars, and as he appeared to take extraordinary pleasure in relating them, I have begged him in future to jot down any such domestic scenes or occurrences that may please his humour, in order that they may be told in his own way. I must confess that as Mr. Pickwick and he are constantly together, I have been influenced in making this request by a secret desire to know something of their proceedings on the evening in question the housekeeper's room was arranged with particular care and the housekeeper herself was very smartly dressed the preparations however were not confined to mere showy demonstrations as tea was prepared for three persons with a small display of preserves and jams and sweet cakes which heralded some uncommon occasion miss benton my housekeeper bears that name was in a state of great expectation too frequently going to the front door and looking anxiously down the lane and more than once observing to the servant-girl that she expected company and hoped no accident had happened to delay them a modest ring at the bell at length allayed her fears and miss benton hurrying into her own room and shutting herself up in order that she might preserve that appearance of being taken by surprise which is so essential to the polite reception of visitors awaited their coming with a smiling countenance good evening mum said the older mr weller looking in at the door after a prefatory tap i'm afeard we've come in rather arter the time mum but the young colt being full o ice has been a boltin and shine and gettin his leg over the traces to such a extent that if he ain't where he soon broke in he'll wex me into a broken heart and then he'll never be brought out no more except to learn his letters from the writin on his grandfather's tombstone with these pathetic words which were addressed to something outside the door about two feet six from the ground mr weller introduced a very small boy firmly set upon a couple of very sturdy legs who looked as if nothing could ever knock him down besides having a very round face strongly resembling mr weller's and a stout little body of exactly his build this young gentleman standing with his little legs very wide apart as if the top boots were familiar to them actually winked upon the housekeeper with his infant eye in imitation of his grandfather there's a naughty boy mum said mr weller bursting with delight there's a immoral tony was there ever a little chap of four years and eight months old as vinked his eye at a strange lady afore as little affected by this observation as by the former appeal to his feelings master weller elevated in the air a small model of a coach-whip which he carried in his hand and addressing the housekeeper with a shrill yah hip 
and addressing the housekeeper with a shrill ya hip inquired if she was going down the road at which happy adaptation of a lesson he had been taught from infancy mr weller could restrain his feelings no longer but gave him tuppence on the spot it's in wain to deny it mum said mr weller this here is a boy arter his grandfather's own heart and beats out all the boys as ever was or will be though at the same time mum added mr weller trying to look gravely down upon his favourite it was wery wrong on him to want to over all the posts as we come along and wery cruel on him to force poor grandfather to lift him cross-legged over every vun of em he wouldn't pass vun single blessed post ma'am and at the top of the lane that's seven and forty on em all in a row and wery close together here mr weller whose feelings were in a perpetual conflict between pride in his grandson's achievement and a sense of his own responsibility and the importance of impressing him with moral truths burst into a fit of laughter and suddenly checking himself remarked in a severe tone that little boys as made their grandfathers put him over post never went to heaven at any price by this time the housekeeper had made tea and little tony placed on a chair beside her with his eyes nearly on a level with the top of the table was provided with various delicacies which yielded him extreme contentment the housekeeper who seemed rather afraid of the child notwithstanding her caresses then patted him on the head and declared that he was the finest boy she had ever seen why mum said mr weller i don't think you'll see a many such and that's the truth but if my son samivel would give me my vay ma'am and only dispense with his might i winter to say the word what word mr weller said the housekeeper blushing slightly petticuts ma'am returned that gentleman laying his hand upon the garments of his grandson if my son samivel mum would only dispense with these here you'd see such an alteration in his appearance as the imagination can't depict her but what would you have the child wear instead mr weller said the housekeeper i've offered my son samivel mum again and again returned the old gentleman to perwide him at my own cost with a suit of clothes as it be the makin on him and form his mind in infancy for those pursuits as i hope the family of the vellers will always devote themselves to tony my boy tell the lady what them clothes are as grandfather says father ought to let you wear a little white hat and a little sprig waistcoat and little knee cords and little top boots and a little green coat with little bright buttons and a little well-wit collar replied tony with great readiness and no stops that's the costume mum said mr weller looking proudly at the housekeeper once make such a model on him as that and you'd say he was an angel perhaps the housekeeper thought that in such a guise young tony would look more like the angel at islington than anything else of that name or perhaps she was disconcerted to find her previously conceived ideas disturbed as angels are not commonly represented in top-boats and sprig waistcoats she coughed doubtfully but said nothing how many brothers and sisters have you my dear she asked after a short silence one brother and no sister at all replied tony sam his name is and so's my father's do you know my father oh yes i know him said the housekeeper graciously is my father fond of you pursued tony i hope so rejoined the smiling housekeeper tony considered a moment and then said is my grandfather fond of you this would seem a very easy question to answer 
but instead of replying to it the housekeeper smiled in great confusion and said that really children did ask such extraordinary questions that it was the most difficult thing in the world to talk to them mr weller took upon himself to reply that he was very fond of the lady but the housekeeper entreating that he would not put such things into the child's head mr weller shook his own while she looked another way and seemed to be troubled with a misgiving that captivation was in progress it was perhaps on this account that he changed the subject precipitately it's wery wrong in little boys to make game o their grandfathers ain't it mum said mr weller shaking his head waggishly until tony looked at him when he counterfeited the deepest dejection and sorrow oh very sad assented the housekeeper but i hope no little boys do that there is one young turk ma'am said mr weller as having seen his grandfather a little overcome with drink on the occasion of a friend's birthday goes a reelin and staggering about the house and making believe that he's the old gentleman oh quite shocking cried the housekeeper yes ma'am said mr weller and previously to so doin this here young traitor that i'm a-speakin of pinches his little nose to make it red and then he gives a hiccup and says i'm all right he says give us another song ha <laughs> ha give us another song he says ha 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 in his excessive delight mr weller was quite unmindful of his moral responsibility until little tony kicked up his legs and laughing immoderately cried that was me that was whereupon the grandfather by a great effort became extremely solemn no tony not you said mr weller i hope it warn't you tony it must have been that ere naughty little chap as come sometimes out of the empty watch-box round the corner the same little chap as was found standing on the table afore the looking-glass pretending to shave himself with an oyster-knife he didn't hurt himself i hope observed the housekeeper not he mum said mr weller proudly bless your heart you might trust that ere boy with a steam engine a-most he's such a knowin young but suddenly recollecting himself and observing that tony perfectly understood and appreciated the compliment the old gentleman groaned and observed that it was all wery shocking wery oh he's a bad un said mr weller is that ere watch-box boy makin such a noise and litter in the back yard he does waterin wooden horses and feedin of em with grass and perpetually spillin his little brother out of a veal-barrow and frightening his mother out of her vits at the wery moment when she's expectin to increase his stock of happiness with another playfeller oh he's a bad one he's even gone so far as to put on a pair of paper spectacles as he got his father to make for him and walk up and down the garden with his hands behind him in imitation of mr pickwick but tony don't do such things oh no oh no echoed tony he knows better he does said mr weller he knows that if he was to come such games as these nobody wouldn't love him and that his grandfather in particular couldn't abear the sight on him for which reasons tony's always good always good echoed tony and his grandfather immediately took him on his knee and kissed him at the same time with many nods and winks slyly pointing at the child's head with his thumb in order that the housekeeper otherwise deceived by the admirable manner in which he mr weller had sustained his character might not suppose that any other young gentleman was referred to and might clearly understand that the boy of the watch-box was but an imaginary creation and a fetch of tony himself invented for his improvements and reformation 
not confining himself to a mere verbal description of his grandson's abilities mr weller when tea was finished invited him by various gifts of pence and halfpence to smoke imaginary pipes drink visionary beer from real pots imitate his grandfather without reserve and in particular to go through the drunken scene which threw the old gentleman into ecstasies and filled the housekeeper with wonder nor was mr weller's pride satisfied with even this display for when he took his leave he carried the child like some rare and astonishing curiosity first to the barber's house and afterwards to the tobacconist at each of which places he repeated his performances with the utmost effect to applauding and delighted audiences it was half-past nine o'clock when mr weller was last seen carrying him home upon his shoulder and it has been whispered abroad that at that time the infant Tony was rather intoxicated. I was musing the other evening upon the characters and incidents with which I have been so long engaged, wondering how I could ever have looked forward with pleasure to the completion of my tale, and reproaching myself for having done so, as if it were a kind of cruelty to those companions of my solitude whom I had now dismissed and could never again recall, when my clock struck ten punctual to the hour my friends appeared on our last night of meeting we had finished the story which the reader has just concluded our conversation took the same current as the meditations which the entrance of my friends had interrupted and the old curiosity shop was the staple of our discourse i may confide to the reader now that in connection with this little history i had something upon my mind something to communicate which i had all along with difficulty repressed something i had deemed it during the progress of the story necessary to its interest to disguise and which now that it was over i wished and was yet reluctant to disclose to conceal anything from those to whom i am attached is not in my nature i can never close my lips where i have opened my heart this temper and the consciousness of having done some violence to it in my narrative laid me under a restraint which i should have had great difficulty in overcoming but for a timely remark from mr miles who as i hinted in a former paper is a gentleman of business habits and of great exactness and propriety in all his transactions i could have wished my friend objected that we had been made acquainted with the single gentleman's name i don't like his withholding his name it made me look upon him at first with suspicion and caused me to doubt his moral character i assure you i am finally satisfied by this time of his being a worthy creature but in this respect he certainly would not appear to have acted at all like a man of business my friends said i drawing to the table at which they were by this time seated in their usual chairs do you remember that this story bore another title besides that one we have so often heard of late mr miles had his pocket-book out in an instant and referring to an entry therein rejoined certainly personal adventures of master humphrey here it is i made a note of it at the time i was about to resume what i had to tell them when the same mr miles again interrupted me observing that the narrative originated in a personal adventure of my own and that was no doubt the reason for its being thus designated this led me to the point at once you will one and all forgive me i returned 
if for the greater convenience of the story and for its better introduction that adventure was fictitious i had my share indeed no light or trivial one in the pages we have read but it was not the share i feigned to have at first the younger brother the single gentleman the nameless actor in this little drama stands before you now it was easy to see that they had not expected this disclosure yes i pursued i can look back upon my part in it with a calm half-smiling pity for myself as for some other man but i am he indeed and now the chief sorrows of my life are yours i need not say what true gratification i derived from the sympathy and kindness with which this acknowledgment was received nor how it often had risen to my lips before nor how difficult i had found it how impossible when i came to these passages which touched me most and most nearly concerned me to sustain the character i had assumed it is enough to say that i replaced in the clock-case the record of so many trials sorrowfully it is true but with a softened sorrow which was almost pleasure and felt that in living through the past again and communicating to others the lesson it had helped to teach me i had been a happier man we lingered so long over the leaves from which i had read that as i consigned them to their former resting-place the hand of my trusty clock pointed to twelve and there came towards us upon the wind the voice of the deep and distant bell of st paul's as it struck the hour of midnight this said i returning with a manuscript i had taken at the moment from the same repository to be open to such music should be a tale where london's face by night is darkly seen and where some deed of such a time as this is dimly shadowed out which of us here has seen the working of that great machine whose voice has just now ceased mr pickwick had of course and so had mr miles jack and my deaf friend were in the minority i had seen it but a few days before and could not help telling him of the fancy i had about it i paid my fee of tuppence upon entering to one of the money-changers who sit within the temple and falling after a few turns up and down into the quiet train of thought which such a place awakens paced the echoing stones like some old monk whose present world lay all within its walls as i looked afar up into the lofty dome i could not help wondering what were his reflections whose genius reared that mighty pile when the last small wedge of timber fixed the last nail driven into its home for many centuries the clang of hammers and the hum of busy voices gone and the great silence whole years of noise had helped to make reigning undisturbed around he mused as i did now upon his work and lost himself amid its vast extent i could not quite determine whether the contemplation of it would impress him with a sense of greatness or of insignificance but when i remembered how long a time it had taken to erect in how short a space it might be traversed even to its remotest parts for how brief a term he or any of those who cared to bear his name would live to see it or know of its existence i imagined him far more melancholy than proud and looking with regret upon his labour done with these thoughts in my mind i began to ascend almost unconsciously the flight of steps leading to the several wonders of the building and found myself before a barrier where another money-taker sat who demanded which among them i would choose to see 
there were the stone gallery he said and the whispering gallery the geometrical staircase the room of models the clock the clock being quite in my way i stopped him there and chose that sight from all the rest i groped my way into the turret which it occupies and saw before me in a kind of loft what seemed to be a great old oaken press with folding doors these being thrown back by the attendant who was sleeping when i came upon him and looked a little drowsy fellow as though his close companionship with time had made him quite indifferent to it disclosed a complicated crowd of wheels and chains in iron and brass great sturdy rattling engines suggestive of breaking a finger put in here or there and grinding the bone to powder and those were the clock its very pulse if i may use the word was like no other clock it did not mark the flight of every moment with a gentle second stroke as though it would check old time and have him stay his pace in pity but it measured it with one sledge-hammer beat as if its business were to crush the seconds as they came trooping on and remorsely to clear a path before the day of judgment i sat down opposite to it and hearing its regular and never-changing voice that one deep constant note uppermost amongst all the noise and clatter in the streets below marking that lest the tumult rise or fall go on or stop let it be night or noon to-morrow or next day this year or next it still performed its functions with the same dull constancy and regulated the progress of the life around the fancy came upon me that this was london's heart and that when it should cease to beat the city would be no more it is night calm and unmoved amidst the scenes that darkness favours the great heart of london throbs in its giant breast wealth and beggary vice and virtue guilt and innocence repletion and the direst hunger all treading on each other and crowding together are gathered round it draw but a little circle above the clustering housetops and you shall have within its space everything with its opposite extreme and contradiction close beside where yonder feeble light is shining a man is but this moment dead the taper at a few yards distance is seen by eyes that have this instant opened on the world there are two houses separated by but an inch or two of wall in one there are quiet minds at rest in the other a waking conscience that one might think would trouble the very air in that close corner where the roofs shrink down and cower together as if to hide their secrets from the handsome street hard by there are such dark crimes such misery and horrors as could be hardly told in whispers in the handsome street there are folks asleep who have dwelt there all their lives and have no more knowledge of these things than if they had never been or were transacted at the remotest limits of the world who if they were hinted at would shake their heads look wise and frown and say they were impossible and out of nature as if all great towns were not does not this heart of london that nothing moves nor stops nor quickens that goes on the same let what will be done does it not express the city's character well the day begins to break and soon there is the hum and noise of life those who have spent the night on doorsteps and cold stones crawl off to beg 
they who have slept in beds come forth to their occupation too and business is astir the fog of sleep rolls slowly off and london shines awake the streets are filled with carriages and people gaily clad the jails are full too to the throat nor have the workhouses or hospitals much room to spare the courts of law are crowded taverns have their regular frequenters by this time and every mart of traffic has its throng each of these places is a world and has its own inhabitants each is distinct from and almost unconscious of the existence of any other there are some few people well to do who remember to have heard it said that numbers of men and women thousands they think it was get up in london every day unknowing where to lay their heads at night and that there are quarters of the town where misery and famine always are they don't believe it quite there may be some truth in it but it is exaggerated of course so each of these thousand worlds goes on intent upon itself until night comes again first with its lights and pleasures and its cheerful streets then with its guilt and darkness heart of london there is a moral in thy every stroke as i look on in thy indomitable working which neither death nor press of life nor grief nor gladness out of doors will influence one jot i seem to hear a voice within thee which sinks into my heart bidding me as i elbow my way among the crowd have some thoughts for the meanest wretch that passes and being a man to turn away with scorn and pride from none that bear the human shape i am by no means sure that i might not have been tempted to enlarge upon the subject had not the papers that lay before me on the table been a silent reproach for even this digression i took them up again when i had got thus far and seriously prepared to read the handwriting was strange to me for the manuscript had been fairly copied as it is against our rules in such a case to inquire into the authorship until the reading is concluded i could only glance at the different faces round me in search of some expression which should betray the writer whoever he might be he was prepared for this and gave no sign for my enlightenment i had the papers in my hand when my deaf friend interposed with a suggestion it has occurred to me he said bearing in mind your sequel to the tale we have finished that if such of us as have anything to relate of our own lives could interweave it with our contribution to the clock it would be well to do so this need be no restraint upon us either as to time or place or incident since any real passage of this kind may be surrounded by fictitious circumstances and represented by fictitious characters what if we make this an article of agreement among ourselves the proposition was cordially received but the difficulty appeared to be that here was a long story written before we had thought of it unless said i it should have happened that the writer of this tale which is not impossible for men are apt to do so when they write has actually mingled it with something of his own endurance and experience nobody spoke but i thought i detected in one quarter that this was really the case if i have no assurance to the contrary i added therefore i shall take it for granted that he has done so 
and even these papers come within our new agreement everybody being mute we hold that understanding if you please and here i was about to begin again when jack informed us softly that during the progress of our last narrative mr weller's watch had adjourned its settings from the kitchen and regularly met outside our door which he had no doubt that august body would be found at the present moment as this was for the convenience of listening to our stories he submitted that they might be suffered to come in and hear them more pleasantly to this we one and all yielded a ready assent and the party being discovered as jack had supposed and invited to walk in entered though not without great confusion at having been detected and were accommodated with cheers at a little distance then the lamp being trimmed the fire well stirred and burning brightly the hearth clean swept the curtains closely drawn the clock wound up we entered on our new story end of section eight